All right, so Lucas kind of wrapped up our dysfunctional series of messages last week with a message called Shift Happens, knowing full well that you would think of something else, and then, and then showing a video from the office that awkwardly talked about vasectomies. Oh yeah, Lucas illustrated very well for us where the dysfunction on our staff team lies, just saying. I slip away uh, to raise a few dollars for a good cause, the soup kitchen downtown, and look at what happens here. And by the way, I do want to say thanks for your support of my part in the ride for uh, soup to Yellowknife. Uh, uh, For me personally, about $6,700 was raised. That's a heck of a lot more than the $700 I raised last year. So yeah, that is so awesome. And I want to give a shout-out to the Enders Stepanek Super Bowl pool. The winner of that pool gave $2,500 to Ride for Soup. Now, that's a football pool done right uh, with some really awesome guys. But, yeah, to all of you, all of you, thanks. Uh, I'm thinking uh, all together with the various ones of us that were on that ride that a little over 15000 was raised for the soup kitchen. So that's pretty cool. The best that we've done in uh, something like that yet. So, good. Well, as you can see from today's video, uh, that is not from the office, but was produced by the very Christian skit guys, uh, a little more appropriate, I might add, but we're going to move from looking at dysfunctional relationships to our dysfunctional use of money. And it's always tense when you talk about money, and if you're visiting with us, checking church out, you're going to hear a little bit about how Christians think about this. Just relax, you know, apply what works for you, and just... You know, you can even ignore me if you want, but that's okay. Anyways, we're going to dive into this. And yeah, and it occurred to me, I had some discussions that uh, this is, you know, just before tax time. And uh, this has been for some companies bonus time. And so this might be a really good time to think about your finances and, and just how to get your financial house in order. And I just thought I'd keep that dysfunction thing going for maybe another week. And as I do, I, I should acknowledge some of the Christian money teaching gurus out there, you know, guys like Dave Ramsey or Joe Sangle, who if you've been in the Christian community at all, you've probably heard of. And now some of you know I tend to be more of a Joe Sangle fan. We've brought him here to Fort City before. We'll probably bring him uh, here again sometime in the future. He's just a little nicer, a little more graceful in how he works with people than Dave Ramsey. They both teach about the same things. Sangle's a little easier on credit cards than Ramsey. Now, Dave Ramsey works because he's kind of the Jerry Springer of Christian radio and Christian broadcasts. He beats people up and shames them. And uh, you who listen to his radio show or podcast, be honest, he sometimes shames you into action. But the action he shames you into is actually good stuff. And the shaming is really done in jest, to be fun, to be catchy, kind of to build his brand. And while Ramsey has helped a lot of people in this church, a lot of people really, as has Sangle. So I'm not dissing Ramsey. Uh, There will be a bit of Ramsey in this message. But like Sangle, I'll try to just be a little gentler in approach. Still, Ramsey's book, Total Money Makeover is Gold. If you're struggling with personal finances, you won't go wrong following this book. And Joe Sangle has a number of books that I would highly recommend, including uh, I Was Broke and Now I'm Not, a much quicker read than Ramsey's with the same end goal. And Joe has a new book out that just came out, uh, really I found it quite inspiring, called 2020 Money. It's about building vision for your finances and for your family. And so a little bit of Ramsey and Sangle will be found in uh, today's uh, message and uh, just some stuff that I've listened to and how I've wrestled with my own dysfunctional use of money and and maybe learning how to be just a little more functional with it. And, you know, 
I have a late breaking news flash to alert you to. It has now been, you know, officially determined after decades of intensive laboratory testing that money itself is not dysfunctional. That money can actually behave. That money is compliant, agreeable, respectful, and obedient. Putting it crassly, money will do precisely what you tell it to do every single time you give it orders, every time, without exception. How many of you ever had a misbehaving dog? Anyone? want to admit to that I I had one or I really should say Jane and my daughter had one for I don't know 10 years and if the dog ever got loose it would just run wild I think it was crying freedom and uh, we had a dog whisper at the other end of our street it was always able to woo that dog back to us or let's get how many have ever had a misbehaving son or daughter I thought about telling a few stories of when my kids misbehave, but Jane always messages the kids about whatever I've said about them in a message, so that's a no-go for now. And, and truth be told, while my kids misbehaved as much as most, they were pretty easy on Jane and I in their growing up years. Although that I would say Graham and one of my two daughters may have perfected the art of what dad doesn't know is best left unsaid. Not that I didn't do the same thing with my parents, and I'd have to admit that they may have gone to their grave not knowing some things that I did. They may have had a better opinion of me than they should have. But anyways, enough said. Or how many of you have ever had somebody you work with or maybe an employee live outside the company rules? Ever been in a situation like that? Well, I'm here to tell you that money is not like that. It goes where you want it to go. It stays where you want it to stay every single time. There's no defiance in it. So when Cousin Eddie says that he just had to spend that $200 that you loaned him because it was burning a hole in his pocket, like it kind of self-ignited, then started smoking and jumping around in his pocket until he finally had to save it from self-destruction by spending it, you can tell Eddie what you learned in church this Sunday. You're lying, Eddie. Money would never act like that. It would never self-ignite or jump around in your pocket. It, it never misbehaves. It does exactly what you tell it to do every single time. All right, I'm kind of over-dramatizing this point because Jesus warned his followers one time about the deceitfulness of money, how it can trick you into thinking that it has a mind and a power of its own or, or that it can simply disappear after a trip to Cabela's, the shopping mall, or the Apple store. But the fact still remains, there has never been a single loony that ever moved from one place to another all on its own. Money always behaves. Quick side note. In the early pages of the Bible, right after God created Adam and Eve, what gift did he give them right from the get-go? He gave them the gift of dominion. God says, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. God was saying to Adam and Eve, I want you to step up and take control and manage things here on planet earth. Exercise authority over what I've created. Some scholars point out that... uh, Dominion is kind of a royal word. It was used by kings to define the the span of their control. To this day, you, me, as descendants of Adam and Eve, you are still called to have dominion over the affairs of your life, to have dominion over your skills and talents and relationships, your family, and, of course, your money. You are to take charge of your money and tell it where to go and tell it what to do. Please, Please, never buy the lie that money is beyond your control, that it's too difficult for you to manage. That is just not true. Money has no will of its own. 
It will do whatever you tell it to do in every circumstance of life. It will behave. Why am I making such a big deal of this idea that you can have dominion, that you can have control over your money? It's because I've been a pastor for well more than three decades and I've heard countless heartbreaking stories from people whose lives are being destroyed by money problems. What, what makes these uh, stories so unbelievably hard to hear is that we're talking good people, so often with good jobs. They're followers of Jesus and they describe this pain and woe that comes from money as if the problem is with money itself. They put all the blame on the money. Now, I get that not everything is in your control. I subscribe to a very depressing newsletter from the A-Team Real Estate Group. Um, since 2014, the average home here in Fort McMurray has lost $250,000 in its value. I'm included in that stat. I share in that depression. Since 2014, townhouses and condos have lost almost 50% of their uh, mobile homes have lost 41%, duplexes 23%, and single detached homes around uh, 32%. That's tough. And right now, Fort McMurray is the bankruptcy and foreclosure capital of Canada. Another home on my street was foreclosed on about a month or so ago. It's all around us, people just walking into the banks and handing in their keys here. But if the A-team is right, 2020 could be the year when home prices will stop dropping and some might even rise a little bit. So yeah, just a little light at the end of a very dark tunnel. So yeah, I get it. There are some issues impacting our finances that are out of our control. Job loss, less overtime, wage freezes, lower wages, all of the above. All of that is part of our reality, especially if you lived in Fort McMurray since the boom years, you know, the years 2014 and before. Then there are those of you who've come since the fire. Fort McMurray has been very good to you. Lower house prices, wages that are still higher than the rest of the country. Fort McMurray still is a city of opportunity, especially for people who are moving into here right now. But here's what I'm hearing. Whether you move to Fort McMurray pre or post wildfire and the bust in oil prices, it doesn't matter. I hear equally gut-wrenching stories of financial mess, of drained bank accounts with no savings, the money set aside for the mortgage payment vanished. The money set aside for retirement evaporated. The money set aside to honor God with tithes and offerings prematurely raptured itself and went up into the sky. And sadly, a lot of the stories that I've been listening to, they didn't happen because of the economic downturn or the wildfire. That's different. But what I'm hearing are stories of debt that when the person I'm listening to gets real honest, they say to me with a bit of shame and embarrassment, Doug, I'm an idiot. It wasn't the money, it was me. The savings account didn't really disappear. It, was because, it wasn't because our house lost value or the job had less overtime. It was because we, we wanted new living room furniture. The mortgage money didn't actually vanish. We used it on another vacation. The money we'd set aside for God and his church didn't really rapture itself into the sky. We, we had to pay overdue credit card bills with it. And, and usually these conversations end with people kind of beating themselves up as to how they could have been so stupid. And if they're humble enough, they'll ask if, if I or the church can help them break the cycle of insanity, break the terrible relationship they've had with money, knowing that they, they really have to go a new way. 
I'll often point them to Dave Ramsey or Joe Sangal or connect them with some people at Fort City who've been trained by uh, Ramsey or Sangal material, or I might give them a bit of a shortened version of what I believe is biblical wisdom on how to manage your money following the good counsel God gives us through the writers of the Bible. And that's what I want to do this morning, kind of take a look at that good counsel God gives us. So let's do that. Now, I've said this before. There are about three buckets into which we usually deposit our paychecks and other income we get. The buckets are, number one, spending and lifestyle. Number two, savings and investment. And number three, giving. Every single one of you, every single pay period, and remember, you are people that God has given dominion and authority over stuff. Every one of you, every pay period, get to decide basically two things. What percentage will go into which bucket and what order you will move the money? And listen very carefully. I want you to understand that getting these two decisions right each pay period will determine to a large extent your financial destiny. And let me remind you, the money you earn isn't going to jump into one of these buckets all on their own. They'll go where you tell them to go. It's going to go where you put it because money is compliant. It does what you tell it to do. So the question is, what percentage of your income will go into each bucket, uh, each pay period? Have you thought about that? Have you ever thought about it that way? And, And then what order will you move the money? What bucket will you move money into first? Do you know? I get this is really new ground for uh, many of you, so hang in there. Uh, I think this is going to be really helpful, although some of you are going to feel the tension of it. But before we get into how we might figure this out, let me tell you what the statisticians are telling us is increasingly typical of what we do. Increasingly, Canadians are putting more than 100% of their income into spending and lifestyle, into the spending and lifestyle bucket. Some Canadians are putting like 120% of their earnings into the spending and lifestyle bucket. And on top of that, they put 4 to 5% into savings and investments, often through a company pension plan. That's an average across the country. And then less than 1% for giving. The average Canadian donates $446 a year. Now, the good news is 84% of Canadians are givers, but it's at far less than 1% of their incomes. When the mathematicians, I'm sure we have a few mathematicians out there who are seeing that this doesn't add up. So how do these numbers work? Well, the answer is debt. And yeah, the the debt picture in our country is is bad and is getting worse. I found two very different stats on average credit card debt in Canada. Both claim to be well-researched, so I'll just give you the big range. But in Canada, the average credit card debt is between 2,600 to one study done on several credit cards just this past August put it at $8,600, which I don't believe, I think that's really high, but it's probably somewhere between those two stats. The balance that just never gets paid off and just the interest payments at an exorbitant rate are paid each month and just hangs over people's heads month after month after month. Here in Fort McMurray, the average adult in Fort McMurray is carrying $40,000 in personal debt. That's not including your housing debt. But multiply that by the number of adults in your home. That's a Fort McMurray stat, 40,000 in personal debt. Um, There is a lot of debt in this room right now. So we just need to take dominion over our money. We need to make our money behave. 
You can experience financial peace rather than that stomach-churning anxiety that we get from our money. And I'd like to suggest that God has given some wisdom to follow when it comes to money and how we work with each bucket. And to start off, I want to talk about the order of the buckets because I think this is actually most important, more important than the actual percentages that go into each bucket. And this might be, again, a little tense for some of you. I'm dabbling with some pretty personal stuff, but hear me out and better still, hear out what the writers of the Bible would say to us and then just think about it, pray about it. Anyone remember what the first of the Big Ten Commandments is? Commandment number one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, those of you who are in the irresistible study with me might be quick to point out that the Ten Commandments were given to Old Testament Israel and not to those who follow Jesus today, and that is true. But I think it would be fair to say that the New Testament reflects this command when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first. Have no other gods before me. So I think we can really simply acknowledge that God says to us, I would like to be first place in your life. You are first place on my radar screen. I, I, God says, I think about you all the time. In fact, the writer of the psalm says that God never slumbers, never sleeps. He's thinking about you all the time. You're first on his radar screen. And he says he would like to be first in your life as well. That's kind of the idea behind you shall have no other gods before me. And the New Testament equivalent, remember Jesus' words, seek first the kingdom or the purposes of God. Matthew says, if you do that, God says, I'll add all kinds of blessings to your life, but seek first God's purposes in the world. Um, and some of that has to do with just how we manage our money. Jesus was pressed one time about what is really important to do in this life. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Right? There's a lot of all there. In other words, put God and his ways first. The book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom, not so much commands. And as a book of wisdom, it's very applicable today for followers of Jesus. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, people honored God. They honored him with their first fruits, which means uh, the earliest and best produce from their fields. King Solomon wrote, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. So at sacrifice time, God would always say to the people who had sheep, you go out there into your herds and you find the first best lamb, the one that would win the prize if they were being judged, the, the one that would get the highest price at the auction if they were you know, going to sell it. Bring the best lamb and sacrifice it to me because I have only ever given you my absolute best. And later on in history, I'm going to give you my only best son to redeem you. So give me your best, and I'm going to give you my best. I could go on and on. But the writers of the Bible make it really clear that when it's time to take dominion over our earnings and begin to move money into one of those buckets, we should actually start with the God bucket. We should honor God first. Does that make sense to any of you at all? That if you're going to give to God as an act of worship, you give right off of the top of your income to God. You, you give your first fruits. You honor God. You worship God. You support the work of God with your giving. You say, God, you have been faithful to me. You got me this job. I, I, I still have air in my lungs and, and I have talent. And you have made it possible for me to have these earnings. And so the first thing I'm going to spend my money on is to honor you and to say thanks. So we honor God first, 
We move the money to his bucket, the giving bucket, first. This really is key to making your dysfunctional finances functional. It's a spiritual principle that we quite can't explain, except it really does bless it. It gives us peace and security and return. And hey, there are a number of secular studies out there done with people who have no faith that say almost the same thing, that people who give have far stronger financial pictures than people who don't give. You go talk to a guy like a Warren Buffett and and he'll say that that is absolutely true whenever he studies finances. There's just something universal about what giving does to an individual. And then those of us who have God at work with us, the supernatural dynamic that's all part of that is, is again part of the mystery of what it means to know and follow God. Then what we do next with our finances, again, this is not what most of you do, but after you honor God first from your income by giving, the next place we move our earnings to is savings and investments, to our, you know, our RSPs, our RSPs, and into uh, maybe a savings account. In other words, after you've given to God, or a crass way of putting it is you pay God first, although we're not paying God, we're just giving, but after you pay God first, then you pay yourself second, which is really what I wanted to try and say. All this before you get to your day-to-day expenses. After you give to God and his work in our city and world, you contribute to your retirement and to your savings. What we're talking about is taking dominion over your money. You're making money behave. You honor God first, but then by all means, honor your labor, the work that you've done with your hands, and pay yourself next. We need savings, RSPs, and investments, friends. We do. King Solomon, writing his words of wisdom in Proverbs, says something I would never say to someone, okay? But here's how he puts it. The fool, the foolish man, spends whatever he gets. I wouldn't call any of you fools, okay? But Solomon, like Dave Ramsey, might, okay? Just saying. Now, we'll talk a little bit about percentages in a minute, but I'll say it again. I think far, far more important than percentages is simply a commitment not to spend all of your money on day-to-day living, but to start by making a commitment to give a percentage of what you earn to God with a focus on your local church and then to give a percentage of all your hard labor into RSP, savings and investments. You make sure that you have a strong and growing savings account and after that you can route the rest of your money to paying your bills and other spending and lifestyle choices. And then you can pay those bills and enjoy those lifestyle choices with a good conscience. And the people I know who are committed to this order of God first, my savings second with bills and lifestyles coming after that, the smartest God-honoring money managers I know almost always set up this discipline electronically. That's just an observation. They get their paycheck deposited electronically into their bank account. They've set up automated giving based on a percentage of what they earn. They are enrolled either by their company or on their own in an RSP program. They set up a way to automatically move some funds into a savings account after every paycheck, all before they get to their day-to-day spending. Now, at Fort City, this is where I'm at, about 28% of our families have set up recurring automated giving. Compared to churches across the country, that's a slightly low percentage I'm told that a good figure to aim for is 50%. So yeah, we're almost halfway. We're over halfway there. That's good. But why is recurring giving so important? Why do you hear us talk about it so often? Well, it's one of the easiest ways that you can say, I give to God off the top of my income before anything else. It's a symbol of commitment. 
At the very least, it says that giving is every bit as important as your rent, your mortgage, your vehicle payment, because you kind of let those come off the top as well, don't you? Let's uh, <clears throat> okay, get into a bit of a percentage conversation. And I wish, you know, I wish I could do what most evangelical preachers do at this point and tell you that God requires you to tithe 10% of your income to him. Most preachers today still preach that all across North America, all across the world. Um, I wish I could, but it's just not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of the New Testament. I mean, there are a lot of people who do it, actually, and it means it's doable. Um, obviously, I think it's a, a benchmark that some of us might even consider, but 10% was a command given in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. It was part of the Old Testament law. We do not live under that law. Jesus has set us free from the law so that what we do is free will. It comes from the heart. Anything we give is free will giving. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes giving. Remember this. He just states a principle. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. He's not telling you what. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's a fairly straightforward piece of teaching. Paul also taught, see that you excel in this grace of giving. And get this, I am not commanding you. And he goes on. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I mean, there's a lot of grace and freedom in this, right? Apostle Paul further gives this instruction about giving. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. In other words, you should be thinking about a percentage that you freely and joyfully decide to give on a regular basis with each pay period, just kind of as your worship to God. But let me dabble, get myself into trouble. Um, but remember, as I'm saying this and doing this, whatever you do, Really, whatever you do, it's a free will decision before God, between you and God. It's an act of worship. It's a, a state of personal commitment. It's, it's, it's just about who is Lord of your life. Okay. The average churchgoer in North America gives 2.5% of their income to their church. So that's the average. Whether the churches preach 10% or not, the average doesn't change. So we get. Some people just don't listen to the preachers no matter what they say. But anyways... That's the average. So let's start there and ask. This is where I'm meddling. This is where I'm going to get into trouble, okay? And just, just take it for what it's worth. I'm just going to ask, are you average? If not, could you become average? Just asking that I know is, is tension-causing, but could you trust God to be average? At Fort City, we have a growing group of people who I would estimate are giving in the 5% range. My personal opinion, that's all it is, just an opinion and maybe a bit of experience in my own situation is, hey, I think 5% is really doable, my opinion. And some of you will be offended that I've set that out there, but I just thought, hey, challenge. Would you consider 5%? Again, free will, cheerful, between you and God, still the challenge is there. And you might be surprised to realize that there are people who give at the 10% or higher range. They exist. They've existed in every church I've served at. They exist here. I'll just leave it there. And you know, if you meet them and talk to them, 
They'll tell you that their lives are blessed, that they love life, that God is awesome. They don't regret it. Now, is it getting a bit hot? It is getting a little quiet. The real key is simply to make giving something you do right off the top and that you do it consistently. Whatever the amount is, whatever the percentage is, you get to choose. It's free will. But there's something powerful about the symbol that you're committed to do it off the top. Then you need to pay yourself. I I used to say, the last time I think I preached this around here, I said 10%, but where I've landed, and this is just my kind of personal deal, okay, is that you need to be putting 10% away for retirement, which is made easy by many of your company retirement plans. Not that all of them are that high, so then you need to supplement that a little bit. Um, Maybe I've been thinking about that as I get a little older, you know, has an impact. So I'm going to tell you who are younger, think about it now. And and then maybe another 5% for savings. This is kind of my own personal. This is not the Bible says, okay? And and, uh, my personal goal is always to have three months of salary put away and easily accessible for a potential disaster. And, you know, when I get over that three-month work, then maybe I have some money for, you know, fun, toys, play, things like that. Here's what the wisdom of Solomon says. He says, good planning, you know, like the word budgeting. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools, there's that word, there's that Dave Ramsey word again, spend whatever they get. Solomon further says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the, law, upon the land. Solomon simply assumes that if you are a wise person, that you will have savings and investments and that you will actually diversify. You won't put them all in one spot. So what does that mean? You have to take dominion over your money. Make the decision that you're not going to live paycheck to paycheck, but that you're going to be disciplined with your finances. And it really, it is all about discipline, about taking dominion, about making a budget. Man, if I asked how many of you had budgets, right? There wouldn't be many hands going up. But it requires making a budget and sticking to it. For the sake of discussion, that's all this is. Okay, I'm going to throw percentages out. These are my percentages. You can pray through your own. Say you commit 5% to giving, 15% to RSPs and savings. That leaves you 80% to live on. And friends, if you budget right, this is very doable. This is biblical wisdom. You can do this. You can And the percentages, I just throw them out as wise suggestions. All of that is between you and God, but here's the kicker. You must decide to do something, and you must discipline yourself to do this. You get your priorities right. You honor God first. Next, you pay yourself, and then you enjoy what God wants you to enjoy. Friends, people who take Jesus seriously, and if you're just hanging around here, this is scary stuff, I know, you know, if you're newer around here, but people who take Jesus seriously, they just handle money differently. You know, the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of you and, and you want to give to support what God is doing through a local church and, and you have some big blessing that is unexplainable by the grace of God. All of this is because at some point, as a follower of Jesus, you chose to break the sanity or the cycle of insanity. You chose to exercise dominion over money so that it will behave every single time you tell it to behave. And when you kind of cross over, have this conversion experience about your money, right? When you cross over and embrace the wisdom of God, when you embrace God's plan for money, here's what happens. Peace, 
You'll have financial peace and security. You'll gain a sense of sanity that grows in your heart over time. And then you'll be able to enjoy what God wants you to enjoy in this wonderful world that He is living in. Friends, there is freedom in all of this. Freedom that God wants for your life, for your marriage, for your kids, for your grandkids. All right, there's only so much I can cram into one message. So let me ask you, can you hear God speaking to you about maybe a next step you need to take on the road to financial freedom? To get on God's three-bucket plan and to put those buckets in order. What do you need to do? Now, I haven't talked a ton about getting out of debt, but these three buckets are the way out of debt. But you might need a little help. We have people here at Fort City who can help you. If you want some help, fill in a connection card, write on it, financial help. We have good people who have learned much about God's wisdom when it comes to money, and God has blessed them, and part of that blessing is their ability to help you. So your next step might be just to fill out a connection card at the connection desk, or message me, or Lucas, or Adrian, or Shauna, and we'll get you connected to help. You can make your money behave. It will do as it is told. And even when everything is out of control in our city, like what's going on right now, there is a way to gain control. So what's your next step? Will you get your buckets in order? Will you ask God about what percentage you should be putting into each bucket? Will you create a plan, a budget, and discipline yourself to stick to it? Do you need help to do that? We have people who would love to help you. And friends, I'm telling you, it can be done. And as you honor God with those buckets, as you listen to God about those buckets, God will honor you. It's a bit of a mystery. But people who follow the wisdom of God with their finances, they rarely regret it. Will you take the dysfunction out of your finances? God has given you the power to do just that. Right? Okay. Before I pray, let me just thank you for listening so intently. I know a lot of people get really tense when they hear we're going to talk about money at church right? There's lots of abuse about it. I give a talk like this, I hope for the right reason, to help you. I'm just praying that you will gain dominion over your money, that you will experience financial freedom that comes from following God's wisdom, God's plan for money. So with that in mind, let's pray. And this week, I'll just pray for you, okay? Father God, would you do what you can only do right now and reach down into the hearts of people who really needed to hear this message? God, bring them to their knees. Whisper in their ear that you love them, that you have a better way. Remind us all that if we step out in faith, you will, you will help us embrace your wisdom. And Jesus, for those feeling shame or frustration about their finances, people who are drowning in their financial situations, would you speak words of hope into their hearts that a new beginning is possible? Would you encourage them to get the help they need? Would you call them by your spirit to put their hand in yours and move towards the future that you have for them? Make it so, Lord, in every heart and home in this church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.